0: declaration of my faith this morning before we get into the message i believe the blood of jesus remits and cleanses me from all sin and even cleanses my conscience of all guilt and shame connected with sin the blood of jesus has redeemed me from the curse of the law and the control of satan The blood of Jesus gives me access to the very throne of God and His holy presence. The blood of Jesus has sealed an eternal covenant between Himself and the Father, and since I am in Christ, it is my covenant with the Father as well. The blood of Jesus provides for me a full and complete salvation from all that sin has brought into the world. Father, we're grateful and thankful for the blood of Jesus. In a little while, we will receive the elements of communion, joining with a long line and host of saints for 2,000 years who have commemorated the Lord's Supper, the communion of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. We don't take this lightly. It's not just mere formality or religious tradition that we celebrate, but it's the reality of the living Christ, whose sacrifice of body and blood in our stead brought us to a place where we can be made, and we are today in Christ, new creatures. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. We ask you today, Lord, for utterance in the Holy Ghost. As we approach your word, we do it with respect. It's a living word. It's your revelation of yourself, of your will, of your plans to us. And so, Lord, we have our ears tuned to hear and our hearts open and receptive for the divine seed, the good seed of the word to be planted for future harvests that will come. I believe, Lord, for a word in season. That person today that might need an answer desperately about something that's troubling them or an area of need in their life, I thank you, Lord, for speaking to them by the Holy Ghost today. I don't know their needs, but you do. And for those who need healing, those who need deliverance in any fashion, I'm believing you, Lord, that this is their day to receive their manifestation, their deliverance, their freedom, their healing. And we give you the thanks and praise in advance for all that you will do through the power of your word proclaimed today. And we do it in Jesus' name and everybody said, amen, 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 amen. Well, we are now fully in the holiday season. I have gained two pounds in the last four days. All the decorations, all the music, all the food, and all the sharing of gifts, and all the good times, we really do enjoy it. In much of the Western world, there's a change, albeit brief, in how people behave this season. Many people are a little nicer, a little bit more generous, and somewhat more happy. It's really a wonderful season. But as we look to the Christmas holiday, which is just a a short short four weeks or so from tomorrow, we as Christians know that it's just a whole lot more than some time off work and time to do some extra visiting and extra eating. It's more than just a time to give gifts and receive gifts. But for us as a believer, we understand that it's about God, the Creator, stepping out of eternity into time. When God came to live in a human body in order that he might fully, completely identify with us to the point of becoming sin with our sin, not sins that he committed, but becoming sin as our substitute with our sin, poor with our poverty, shamed with the shame that was due to us, rejected with the rejection that was ours, and even sick with our sicknesses and diseases. I say this often throughout the year, but it's so appropriate this time of the year. He became what we were so that we can be what He is. A child of God, accepted, righteous, and in covenant relationship with the Father. That's the story of the gospel. That's the story of the gospel, and as... We pointed out in our ordination time, Romans 1.16, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And there are more facets to this truth, more facets to the gospel than we have time to explore today. But I do want to look at one this morning, and that is the great truth of redemption. And I'd like to ask you to open your Bibles with me to the book of Galatians, chapter number 3 and we're going to read verses 13 and 14. This is our text for the morning. Galatians 3:13 and 14. Many of you have heard many messages on the topic of redemption. The danger with that is that we think we already know it. We want to be careful that we don't miss something that God would like to add to our repertoire of knowledge today. We want to be reminded. We want the seed to be watered again. Galatians three thirteen and 14 says, Christ hath redeemed us. Notice past tense, it's already done. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And I just have to go ahead and read verse 29. It fits so well with these truths. And if ye be Christ's, if you belong to Jesus, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Redemption here means to pay the price to buy someone out of slavery with the intent to set them free. Everybody that would have read this passage in the days when this was given by the Apostle Paul, the Holy Spirit through him gave it, they would have understood, as we understand what slavery is, but the word redemption here means that someone would pay the price necessary to set a slave free with the intent not to keep them as their slave, but to pay for their freedom. And then set them totally free. To live no more as a slave, but as a free man or a free woman. We understand the allegory. We understand the picture. Because the truth is, we were all slaves to Satan. We were all slaves to sin. And all of the mess that went along with it. Because we were legally in Adam when he fell. That may not seem fair, but I can promise you the devil doesn't think it's fair that now you're righteous even though you didn't do anything righteous. You didn't earn it. You didn't buy it. That's how substitution works. Somebody takes your place and they act on your behalf. They operate rather like having power of attorney to do what they want and then you have to live with the consequences. Well, it's bad that Adam did what he did. And we have seen the consequences of that now for thousands of years. But what's good news today is that Jesus did what he did. Aren't you glad you know him? In the second chapter of Ephesians, beginning with verse 11, the description is given of our state before we were in Christ. The place of being under the curse. The place of a fallen man. And Paul says, wherefore remember... That ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. That at that time ye were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise. And listen to this last phrase. This is a description of every unsaved person in the earth having no hope, and without God in the world. That's where we were. That's where we were. That's why I say we were slaves to sin. We couldn't help but sin. And we couldn't help ourselves. Because this fallen existence that man found himself in, and that we were all born into, wasn't one that we could remedy on our own. We couldn't pay enough money, do enough penance. Not for 10 million years, not for a billion years could we ever pay for our redemption. We needed a Savior. We needed a Redeemer. And who we needed was someone that only God could provide. And He did it in the person of Jesus, the Christ, the eternal Word of God incarnate. You know, there's only one. I joined fully in agreement with the Apostle Peter when he stood and preached on the day of Pentecost and said, neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There is no salvation in anything or anybody other than in Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Either he is exclusively the way, the truth, and the life, or he told a lie. Jesus is either who he said he was, or he was a total maniac. And we're total fools to follow him. Well, I don't know about everybody else, but I know this. I have tasted and I've seen the Lord is good. I know. I'm not wondering. I don't doubt. I know. He is God, and He is my Lord. Aren't you glad He's yours? Amen. Jesus was born, Jesus lived, Jesus died, and He was resurrected to forever fix our problem, to redeem us from sin, which is the nature and the condition of all fallen men, to redeem us from Satan, which has to do with our identity or our earth family, you might say, the fallen family. And to redeem us from the curse of the law, which has to do with the fallen way of living. We really are a new creature. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Through the finished work of Jesus, he completely accomplished the legal transaction of our redemption. In all of the universe, in the highest court of the universe, the very throne room of heaven... The great judge, God Almighty, sees the work of Jesus as a fully completed transaction, which included your and my redemption. Our guilt and our punishment was completely, not partially, not temporarily, but completely and eternally laid on Jesus Our shame, our rejection, everything that had to do with the fallen nature was completely laid on Jesus. And therefore, we have been found not guilty. The New Testament word, the Old English word, is justified. And in Romans 4 and 25, I love this verse. I want to read it for you this morning. Romans chapter 4 and verse 25. It says, Speaking of Jesus, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for, and the word there is used as in the sense of because, of our justification. In other words, when the penalty was completely paid, when justice was completely satisfied that you and I could be acquitted and found not guilty, and when that happened, and the acquittal came for our sins and our past, and we were given access into the presence of God and the Father of God through belief and faith in Jesus, when that happened, when that price was paid, that's when Jesus got up. So if you believe that Jesus was resurrected, then you also must believe that He acquitted you from your past. Aren't you glad? We're not living in who we used to be and what we did. You don't even need to talk about it. You don't need to regret it. You don't need to feel shame about it. You don't need to hide around and, and duck the issue. You need to hold your head high, not because of your self-worth and self-dealings uh, you know, and your own benefit, but you need to do that because of what Jesus has done in you. I think about, I mentioned Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost a while ago. I mean, think about it. It was just a matter of of a few weeks before that he had stood out there in the courtyard uh, and, and cursed and swore and said he didn't even know who Jesus was. I mean, today there would be all kinds of YouTube videos and people trying to decide how long does he need to be in rehab. Can he ever get in the ministry again? Do we need to take his credentials away from him? You know, all kinds of things like that. But whenever that he came in the day of Pentecost to that place where he was empowered by the Holy Spirit he'd already been born again when he realized that Jesus the one he had betrayed uh, I'm sorry the one he had denied had been risen from the dead when he was born again he was filled with the Holy Ghost he was empowered this new creation was not the same old Peter that had made all those mistakes before he truly was a rock he was a steadfast person and you see that's the way God sees you not based on your past but based on what Jesus has done for you and in you and through you. Aren't you glad of that today? Yeah. Hallelujah. Yeah. Our guilt and our punishment was completely laid on Jesus. And that's why we're found not guilty and justified. We're now legally righteous before Almighty God. 2 Corinthians five twenty one says that He, God the Father, has made Him, Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. <coughs> So that's who I am. That's who you are if you're born again. That's what I have. I'm not trying to get righteous. And I want to say this now. I am not, and you are not if you're born again, you're not an old sinner saved by grace. One of the worst messed up things I believe that you can ever beat into people, and it's been truly beaten into people many times in churches for years, is the fact that they're still just an old sinner. Well, if you tell somebody all the time they're just an old sinner, guess what? They're going to act like an old sinner. They're going to think like an old sinner. And that's a problem because you're not, in the eyes of God, an old sinner. You used to be, I'll admit that, yeah, that's who I was, but oh, thank God, that's not who I am now. I am a new creation in Christ. I've been made the righteousness of God in Christ. And therefore, I am walking in a place of victory and blessing that can come no other way but through the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's why I say that's who I am. That's what I have now because of something that Jesus has already done for me at the cross. Now I want to go back to Galatians 3 and look again at our our beginning text. Christ has redeemed us from what? The curse of the law. It's interesting that he doesn't say he's redeemed us from sin, though that's true. He doesn't say he's redeemed us from habits and addictions and wrong things, though that's true. But he actually uses the phrase, the curse of the law. What is that? And Where can I find in the Bible what that really is? Because if I can go to Scripture and see what God calls the curse of the law, then at the same time I find out what that curse is, I'm also finding out what I don't have to have anymore. I find out what doesn't belong to me. I find out what I am able to, in faith, righteously resist. I have a right to resist those things. I can't think of a better passage. You could probably find some others that would uh, add to the list. But I can't think of a more concise passage to look at than the book of Deuteronomy chapter 28. Because in this last farewell message that Moses preached to the people of Israel, he took a lot of time in what we have in our Bible as Deuteronomy 28, to warn them about the curse of the law and to tell them that if they didn't serve God, if they didn't obey God, that they would come under this curse. And he actually begins in verse number 15 and he goes all the way through and there are actually 68 verses in the, uh, the chapter and he goes from verse 15 pretty much all the way through the end of that chapter telling them what these curses are. Now, I'm not going to read all those verses to you today, but I would would implore you, as your pastor, I would ask you, please read Deuteronomy 28 this week. Read it and see the differences between the blessings and the curse. See what you are redeemed from. There are several key aspects that I'll mention just generally, and you can go and find all these in those verses So, But listen carefully to what these are and what the curse includes. Number one, it obviously includes spiritual death, which doesn't mean ceasing to exist. It doesn't mean annihilation. What spiritual death means is separation, alienation, and isolation from God. And if we pass this life without receiving eternal life, then that separation from God becomes an eternal issue. And that's why there is a hell, for instance. Because spirits don't cease to exist. And rebel spirits and those who don't receive Jesus have to be housed somewhere. And that's what it's about. But, so spiritual death is not being in right relationship with God. Another thing that's very obvious in this passage that's a curse of the law, or part of the curse is sickness and disease. There's no doubt about it. You can read a a, a long list of sicknesses and diseases. And I think it's very interesting that when you get down to the 61st verse, it just sums it up and says, and all the diseases not even listed here. It's like he gives you this big long list and down at the bottom he says, and every other sickness and every other disease. It's a part of the curse of the law. We also see in that passage... <coughs> excuse me that poverty is a part of the curse <coughs> isn't it amazing how that poverty has become almost like a virtue in some religious circles you know even even certain ministers sometimes take what they call a vow of poverty i prefer a vow of prosperity Myself, there is no scriptural basis for a vow of poverty. Amen. Amen. And so, the whole idea, even among Protestants, that somehow there's some virtue in being poor, broke, busted, disgusted, somehow that makes us a better Christian that's going to bring us nearer to God. I tell you, some of the most miserable. Mean, wicked people you ever meet are people that don't have two nickels to rub together because they're living under a curse. The problem with being under a curse is it's a cursed life. And and most people who live under the curse seem to want to curse. Have you noticed that? They're miserable. They're miserable. You don't have to live that way. You've been redeemed even from poverty. I can tell... I was running into some deep ruts there that was troubled. I'd had to put it in four-wheel drive to pull out of there. But uh, I'm telling you the truth. Another part of the curse of the law is mental illness. <clears throat> the old English calls it madness. But that's that word, madness, does not there mean anger? It means mental illness. All that's a part of the curse. And then another aspect of the curse is family what I call family disasters because it includes marriages that are destroyed and it includes relationships between parents and children that are destroyed and actually talks about children being carried away into captivity. And so we look around and see so many people, so many families tore up because literally the children are captives, maybe not a captive in the sense of traditional slavery, but a slave to drugs, a slave to alcohol, many marriages destroyed because of adultery and infidelity and all kinds of things that come in. All these are a curse. You have no business entertaining any of this. You have no business expecting any of this. You have every right to resist all this. I'm trying to talk very strongly to you today because it is important that you take your place. I can't do all this for you. I can tell you about it, and I can do my best to tell you how, but I cannot do it for you. You must stand to receive from God the things that he has blessed you with. You see, the curse that we've just been talking about is the curse that every unsaved person lives under today. Now, some of it manifests in different ways. There are people who have plenty of money, but all their 14 wives hate them. (laughs) Amen. There are people who are sharp intellectually. Their mind can take them in great places, but uh, their kids hate them. There are people who bounce between a lot of these things. They've got some or maybe all of these going on in their lives. There are people who have plenty of money, but they can't sleep at night. You know, you can, you can buy the best bed in the world, and they're not cheap, but you can't buy a good night's sleep. Do you know that? You can buy a, a beautiful home, the building, the structure, but you can't buy a good home, home life. Amen. Far too many Christians are putting up with the curse, and they're doing so unnecessarily. If what I'm saying to you today stirs you, even if I'm aggravating you and getting on your last nerve, please know the Holy Spirit is trying to get you to think like God thinks about these things. We need to know and we need to use the truth of redemption in order to live free from that which we have been redeemed from. Many, many people don't know that there's any other way to live than being enslaved and to be cursed. They think their life is normal. I think about the prophet Hosea, chapter 4, verse 6, where God, through the prophet, said, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. So one of the things I've noticed as a minister is that even many precious good people, people that are saved, and they legally have actually been redeemed, but they don't know what they've been redeemed from, and they don't know what they have a right to take by faith, and they don't know what they have a right to resist using the name of Jesus so that their life can be different. I want to know, and I want you to know, what God considers normal for his children. And you know what he considers normal? It's Galatians 3, 14. That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. What's normal in God's economy is what Jesus, I mean, even you know Jesus probably knew a thing or two, amen, he was, he, he, he was an expert. Jesus in John 10, 10 says, the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. That's the word of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this abundant life, the Greek word is zoe, it means life as God has it, life as God knows it. It means life in the absolute sense. God is so alive that nobody can die in his presence. Think about Enoch and Elijah. They've been in heaven. They didn't die physically here yet. And all these centuries and millenniums, they have been kept alive. Why? Because of the life of God. And when you and I pass from this life, however that will be, if we go in death physically or if Jesus comes and we're caught up to be with him, however that happens, once you get in the presence of God, death is over. It's gone. And nobody there even wants to come back. That's how good it is. Well, I know we're not in heaven yet, but God has graciously, through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, given us the divine privilege to have a bit of heaven right here on the earth. This is what God wants for you, and this is what God considers as normal for his redeemed kids, to be in a place of acceptance and peace with God, to have a real and lasting relationship with God, to have abundant prosperity and divine health, and to experience a blessed family life. These are things that only the Bible presents as real possibilities for everybody, for Christians. These things are normal for the family of God. Can you say amen? Amen. So, all these blessings and many more that we don't have time to mention are available to us through redemption. And we have been redeemed. And so since redemption means to purchase one in slavery with the intent of setting them free, you've got to understand that God's purchase of us with the blood of his own son Jesus Christ and the giving of his own life has set us free from Satan, from sin, and the curse of the law so that the blessing of Abraham can be ours through Christ Jesus. And in closing, what I want to tell you is this. The blessing of Abraham is accessed as all God's redemptive blessings are accessed by grace through faith. What does that mean? That means I believe in my heart what God has said. And then I dare to confess those things with my mouth. And I don't backtrack and double talk. And I don't negate my confessions with unbelief. I'm not living on the sympathy and sorrow of other people. I'm not looking to manipulate other people. But I declare my faith. You know, I think it's, it's, just, uh, it's just amazing how that, that you can choose how you want to approach your life. You can pour mouth and manipulate people and join the crowd of the world. Or you can be bold and declare what God has said. And people will think sometimes you're arrogant. They'll think that you're a smart aleck. They'll think whatever they want to think. But you'll have the blessing of God. And if you walk in the blessing long enough, there will come a time when honest people will want to know, how did you get there? Well, the answer is simple. It's by grace through faith. Amen. Believing in my heart. Confessing with my mouth. And acting and planning on it to be so. So I want to say that again. It's believing in my heart what God has said. I find that from His Word. It's daring to confess with my mouth, because if your faith won't move your mouth, it'll never move your mountain. I confess with my mouth what God has said about me, and then I will take any needed further action. And I will plan on that happening in my life. So, pardon me, but I'm not planning on being broke. I'm not planning on being sick. I'm not planning on being weak. I'm not planning on my marriage being destroyed. I'm not planning anything of the curse. I've had my share of battles. Amen. Amen. Sometimes we go to places, you know, you go to restaurants sometimes, and they'll have a thing there that'll say, you know, Purple Heart thing, and I, I, Glenna won't let me park in it. I tell her, I said, I've been wounded in the battle. <laughs> <laughs> and she always reprimands me and says, no, you haven't. <laughs> She's right, of course, and I don't park there. However, I do sometimes park in the Home Depot Pro place because I am a professional. I'm just not a a carpenter. (laughs) Amen. Not very spiritual at all, is it? I guess get back to what we need to say. But I don't plan the cursed life. I've had my share battles, yes. I have to use my faith just like everybody else. You know, you do... You can be anointed to teach, but you're not anointed any more than anybody else to live what you teach. Everything I preach to you, I have to live. And I can tell you, the devil wants to test me on every bit of it. But as I said earlier, the fight of faith is a good fight because we win. So plan and act like you believe what the Word says. Declare constantly, I am redeemed. I'm not going to get redeemed. I'm not hoping to be redeemed I am redeemed right now Father we thank you for redemption we thank you for the precious blood of Jesus it wasn't a light thing it wasn't a little thing that bought us our redemption it took the very life of Jesus his life's blood spilled for us he who knew no sin was made to be sin for us Lord, we want to say in this Thanksgiving weekend, we want to say thank you for that. When we were unlovely, when we were unable to help ourselves, you loved us enough to come to us. When we couldn't get to you, you came to us. Thank you for this marvelous plan of salvation. We thank you, Lord, that we are redeemed. And Father God, I feel sure that there are those here today who are battling various issues, things of the curse that want to attack and to attach themselves to their lives. But I thank you for truth that helps us understand the need to be bold with our faith, bold with our confession, and to be proactive and faith filled with how we plan. Not to lose, but we plan to win. We thank you for the blood of Jesus. We thank you. Lord, should there be one here that doesn't know you or one who's watching this video either live or later on, I pray, Lord, that they would call now upon the name of Jesus. That they would just say, Father God, please forgive me of my sin. I believe Jesus died for me and I believe that he rose again and I accept him now as my Lord and my Savior and I confess him as my Lord. Cleanse me by the blood of Jesus. Make me a new creation in Christ and I will serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. And yes, it is that easy because Jesus did the hard work. If there was a table spread here today with marvelous food, and I invited you to come and just just eat with me, and all you had to do, all you have to do, is come and eat. You don't have to pay for it. Don't have to buy it. Don't have to cook it. Don't have to work for it. Just come and eat. That's the way salvation is. God has already provided it. Just come and take it. Amen. You'll find on the seat back in front of you there there should be a little cup like this and if you take the top and peel it back you'll see the communion bread and if you peel back the second layer you'll see the uh, juice and we're going to receive communion sing a chorus before we go today I know we've had a lot of things going on stacked up here in the service but I trust you've been blessed by what you've received and what you've been a partaker of today. Father, we thank you today for the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ for the broken body that's represented by this piece of unleavened bread. The purity of the sacrifice of Jesus is unmatched, unparalleled. Only he could do what he did. Who his own self In his own body bear our sins. That we being dead to sins. Should live into righteousness. By whose stripes you were healed. Lord you bore. Our sins. You bore our sicknesses. You bore our shame. Our rejection. You became what we were. So that we can be. Who you are. We can be in Christ. Seated with him in the heavenly realms. And we thank you for this. And we receive this now. In the name of Jesus. Amen. And now Lord we. Hold this cup in our hand. This grape juice representing for us. The blood of Jesus which is the blood of redemption. That was how you paid the price to redeem us from the curse of the law. That's how you brought us to this new and living way. That's how you brought us to this place of acceptance. You bought us. We're not our own anymore. We're yours. We belong to you. Spirit, soul, and body, we are yours. So we choose to serve you from our spirit, with our spirit. We choose to serve you from our mind and with our mind. And we choose to serve you even with our body, that it is sanctified for your purpose. We are, Lord, your servants to command. Whatever you say, whatever you want, whatever you will, that's what we want to conform to. We don't want to try to do it ourselves. We already did that. It didn't work. We want to do it your way. So we thank you for the blood, the awesome price that bought us out of our slavery. Thank you, Lord, for redeeming us from the curse of the law. Every bleeding sacrifice of the Old Testament era from the very first one in the Garden of Eden when the animals were slain and the coverings were given to Adam and Eve to cover their nakedness. And the blood of those animals were shed, was shed to, to atone for their sins. All of those bleeding sacrifices were but types looking forward to when Jesus, the Lamb of God, would come and shed his blood for us. So we receive this with that knowledge. And we honor you we respect you and lord we're so thankful so thankful that we're not bound by our past our sins have been remitted we have an eternal covenant with the almighty god oh thank you thank you for redeeming us we receive it now in jesus name